Welcome back for another week of Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to talk about all of the important affairs this week in the sport of boxing. Back this week is Danny. Um, also, we have my main man, Vail, and then me. I'm the guy that's nice in front of Mike's, you know, kind of like Joe Dumars, Wilton Henry. And so this week, we've got a lot of topics that we're going to discuss. Um, but before we get to our topics, we're going to uh, talk about All-Star Weekend a little bit, fellas. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the dunk contest last night. Um, if you did, what was your take on that? And if not, you know, um, what do you think about, you know, All-Star Game tonight? Like, what you looking for? Um, what you what, what are you interested in? So I, I did check out the dunk contest yesterday. Um, I thought it was it was just a weird feeling. And at first, I didn't know what if, if I just was, you know, oh, the dunk contest is on. Let me turn to it. And it wasn't as hyped about it this year, or was it actually just that bad? But, but just looking at it, it, it just wasn't like it's, it's, it seemed like I, I don't know, like like they had to ask those the participants did they want to participate or something like these were they didn't seem enthusiastic about being there and trying to do things and i don't know if we've just been spoiled over the year you know over the years you know watching you know people like nate robinson and, and uh aaron gordon with the with the drone and and the other cat that that blew out the cupcake and <laughs> shot the dunk we didn't see none of that i mean we didn't we didn't even, I didn't even really see dunks that were creative. And I think what it was really was the dunks they were doing, it, it would be fine if they were making it on the first try. But some people, they were, it, it was like they had like three, four false starts and missed it three times. And I, I and I, and I'll have to watch it again. I don't really want to, but I, th I think the, 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 in the finals, I think that was one because the loser missed kept missing their dunk i think that's how the the winner won it really had it in the bag so but you know and hopefully next year hopefully they hear all the complaints and the next year is a lot more exciting i don't know what else they can do about it for real i mean i you know i i don't i don't have a solution i didn't i had low expectations i only watched i got home in town to watch like the last round but my only expectation for All Star Weekend is just like the only I would like to see, you know, with the by the time this comes out, it'll be tomorrow, you know, like on Monday. But um, as of Sunday night, I would just like to see them take the game serious. We've had a few years, and I think when they changed the format to honor Kobe, where they added like the twenty four, however they did it to honor Kobe since twenty twenty, it's incentivized taking the game more serious. But there's been a few years where nobody was really playing hard and and you know it just kind of made for like a boring like pickup game style just about like you know what I mean like it was like a pickup game where nobody got next you had no incentive to really play hard so I just want to see like a good game and I know there are some injuries while well, with some stars so if I just see a good game tonight I'll be cool with what I've seen this weekend yeah and I don't and just to add to that I don't like that the, the whole concept of team this person or person they start picking player i just personally i just don't like that I, I i like the you know basic east and west format a lot better yeah um the only thing that i was gonna add was was two things one is i didn't see the dunk contest live um i watched that amir khan versus uh kill brook fight and 
You got a little tired afterwards. You know, I call myself taking a little nap. The next thing I know is like three o'clock in the morning. So I wakes up, I watch the Jaime McGill fight. And then I said, you know what? I, I start seeing uh, people complaining about the dunk contest. So I decided to go and check out the highlights. So I looked at the highlights of the dunk contest and I can see why people were upset. And that's that was the highlights. Like they cut out all of the missed dunks and everything. And what I noticed in those highlights was that guys, they, they're they not, it's like even when they finish their dunks, it's like they just finish. You know, it wasn't any showmanship. You know how like somebody will dunk and they'll do something, then they'll go to the crowd and say something and they add that extra flair and that extra um. I didn't see any of that. It was just guys up there dunking and, you know, maybe some like layup line type dunks or whatever, but it wasn't anything um, that'll catch your attention that, that just jumps off the screen at you. So that's what I know is I'm not going back to see it, you know, uh, review it or anything like that, you know? Um, so, you know, to answer your question, as far as what can they do in the future, I have no clue, you know, but I would just highly suggest to those guys that if you're going to be in a dunk contest, you know, add a little bit more showmanship, you know, to your dunks, you know, make it seem like it's better than what it is just based on how you conduct yourself afterwards. Because a lot of times when you do something and you seem excited about it, then other people will buy into what it is that you bring into the table. But if you're just sitting up there, you dunk and you don't really have any excitement, then why should I be excited? You know, and as far as the game is concerned, um, the all-star game itself, the crazy thing is, Yesterday morning, I ended up for somehow, somewhere I was on YouTube and I scrolled through and it had like highlights of, no, I was on Instagram. And so they had this clip of like a top place that was in all-star history. You know, you had Jordan who caught the um, ball off the rim, like somebody shot a free throw and then he went in there, he dunked it. You had um, Shaq, he dunked on David Robinson. I guess there's a whole bunch of different plays, but in those little clips, I saw more defense in those all-star game highlight clips than you actually see in NBA games, like regular season NBA games, you know? And that was crazy to see that. So yeah, guys need to get more competitive when it comes to the all-star game. Um, but they kind of do like the last two, three minutes, that's when they start really playing and it gets kind of exciting then. Um, for me, you know, I always, you know, just want to see the best dudes, you know, go at it. And, you know, LeBron's my favorite player, so I'm interested to see what he's going to do now that he's um, going to be playing back, back in Cleveland. But that's all I have as far as our introductory topic. Let's go ahead and get off to, to uh, what it is that we're here for. You know, in, in this podcast, we do it real grande. You know, we do it. We do it vente. We kind of like Starbucks, you know, when it comes to this sort of thing. So let's go ahead and start off uh, with the Amir Khan, the long-awaited uh, Amir Khan versus Kell Brook fight. What did you guys think about last night's um, event? Yeah, it was long awaited. I mean, grudge match. I mean, all the bad feelings for about, for, for as a boxing fan, about 10 years for them, uh, a lot longer. Uh, it came to this night, you know. Bill, 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 yeah. I don't mean to cut you off. What did you think, even before you, you, you talk about um, your breakdown, which you always do an excellent job, but what do you think about the guys, you know, afterwards, after this long, um, drawn out, you know, long awaited fight that finally took place, the, all of the grudge and, 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 and bitterness towards each other, the fact that they embraced each other and they seem to have a good relationship now. What, what do you think about that? 
Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's obviously that there's history there. And even though there's bad blood and, you know, they've been taking shots at each other, you can tell that, you know, they came up together they, in the claims that he they shared a room at one point, you know, so there is some, you know, respect there. It's just that they're bitter rivals, you know, and just like with any rivalry in most of sports, and normally, you, you know, end up hating each other at the, even at the end, you know, I mean, you see Marco Antonio Barrera, Eric Morales, they're cool now because out of respect, you know, it's, it's that, you know, that competitive nature, you know, Brooke was chasing this fight for a long time. And, uh, you know, Amir Khan, he, and he, once he won that silver medal, he pretty much uh, blew up and he, he, he had a lot put on him that he never really lived up to, but he did the best he could. And, and Brooke really had the toughest way up there, but Brooke, you know, he did, he did his thing throughout his career. So it came to this, this night, which is, you know, past his best, but uh, as I predicted, you know, emotions was high and they, they was going to fight their hearts out for it, you know, uh, soon as the fight started. Uh, of course, Amir Khan, I mean, he slowed down a little bit, you know, and that, that played out in this fight where Kel Brook, you know, he was the puncher in the fight, as we always thought he was going to do. I just thought that, you know, I thought Khan would have probably uh, did more to try to, you know, box Brooke at times. But Brooke was just, you know, you could tell, you could see the emotion in how Kel Brook was fighting. You know, as a lot of times he was just pressuring Khan. He really, really wanted to win. Uh, as I predicted, both guys kind of losing the step made this fight even more exciting because Brooke was really going for it. Uh, as, as soon as after he hurt Khan, I think in the first round, first or second round, you can see it in Khan's face that he was just like, like, man, I'm in a fight for real. And, he, and I saw Bo Mack trying to, you know, give him instructions, trying to motivate him. Um, but, you know, props to Khan. I mean, he takes a lot of slack, you know, for, you know, his chin, chin issues and, and his, his lack of boxing IQ. But one thing I'm, I'm going to say now, now that his career is probably going to end is that the, the dude got heart, man. He get in the ring with just about anybody. And even when he gets caught, he stays in there. He never really just just totally quits a fight. You know, it was only really that, I mean, one of, maybe one time where I thought that hmm, he could have fought more. But most of the time, he goes out in the shield. So props to Khan. But Brooke, it was just his night. I mean, he really, really wanted him. He stunned, he stunned Khan. And after that, I was like, man, Khan is not going to make it through this entire fight. He's not going to make it to see 12 rounds. This might be exciting, but he's not going to make it. So I think it got to the, maybe the fifth round where I thought that Brooke really stepped on the meta. He was trying to, 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 to stop Khan, uh, and he almost did. And, and Khan never really recovered. In the sixth round, uh, Brooke just – Ended the fight, put him, put you know, kind of his misery. Now, even though uh, Brooke pretty much, you know, pressure Khan and just pretty much beat him up, you know, Khan was doing well in spots and he was doing well enough where you know you could have given him, you know, maybe a round, maybe a round or two. I think the second round, I think he kind of edged it. You know, he, it's just that the carryover effect from when Brooke was really, you know, hurt him in the, in the first round. I think sometimes some people carry that over, but if you really watch it. Khan, you know, he really tries to get his composure. He's hurt, you know, but he just never does. But you can see that from his heart that he's trying to really get himself back in the fight. So it was a, a you know, exciting fight for, you know, for two guys that's even past their best. I knew this was going to be exciting. It, it lived up to what I thought it was going to be. The only thing I thought that Brooke would probably just going to put Khan 
straight to sleep, and he really didn't. He did stop him, though. Uh, and, of course, it, I knew it wasn't going to get a little past. It was going to go about six, seven rounds. But, you know, good fight. Good UK grudge match is finally over with. The guys can, you know, probably do business, you know, together as they, they go off to the sunset. Yeah, I know I was supposed to go. You know, I was I was enjoying that breakdown like everybody else, you know. So, you know, pardon me. Um, you know, but as far as what I saw in the fight, you know, Khan, he drops to, I want to say, 34 and 6 with 21 KOs and kill um, Kale up this record to 43 with 28 KOs now. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really good scrap. And like we all thought that it would be, you know, um, we, we made predictions on a fight and um, my main man, Danny, he switched picks, you know, more than the NFL draft, you know, um, yesterday, but, but that's neither here nor there. Now, uh, as you stated, Khan, he came into the fight with a new trainer. He had Bo Mack, you know, he had uh, Terrence Crawford's trainer. And, you know, I, I made this statement before, you know, you can, you can take, you know, Bill Belichick's playbook, but that don't make you the Patriots. And so I didn't think that that was going to necessarily play a role in this fight because of the fact that with one camp, you know, what what was it that Bo Mack was going to do with Khan that was going to propel him to beat Kill Brook? Now, he can motivate him. And that's the one thing that I noticed about Bo Mack. Bo Mack just has a prized pupil. I haven't seen him really be successful with anybody else outside of the great Terrence Crawford. So maybe he was thinking that Bo Mack, as well as Crawford, can give him some pointers on what they saw in order to de defeat Brooke. Maybe that's what he was looking for, because as far as just the skills and things like that and be able to add on and, and, and show him the little small detail needed to know in order to be able to pull it off. I just didn't think that was going to play a factor in this fight. And that's the reason why I predict that Brooke to defeat Khan, you know, at some point in a fight, I just thought he was going to get to him. Now I want to give Khan some props too, because now he does end up having the little toddler uh, chin issues, but he showed a better chin in this fight than I've seen him in the past with all of the right hands that he was taking, all of the chocolate brownies that he was um, enduring, you know, and eating, you know, it, it really, he should have like some type of sugar diabetes, you know, as many brownies that he ate, but he stood up, he never went down, but he was visibly shaken, you know, on numerous occasions when he got clipped. As far as what I saw in the fight, the first round, um, Brooke hurt him, you know, at first I thought, I was like, uh-oh, Brooke looked a little stiff, you know, lead leg, you know, maybe the first minute. But after that, he kind of warmed up, clipped Khan a few times and had him hurt. And so you had to give Brooke the first round. Second round was the only round that I thought that Khan could have possibly won. I gave it to him, but it very well could have went to Brooke. He just really, I don't recall him getting hurt in the second round. And I just knew that he was doing better than he did in the first Third round, I thought that round was close as well. But then towards the end, Brooke clipped him. And Khan was, you know, had those little deer uh, in a headlights type, you know, situation where he was just all over the place. And then I thought the third round, um, he rocked him against almost every round, he ended up hurting Khan at some point. 
and fourth round was kind of close until Brooke landed a flurry towards the end. And then round five, it was just all Brooke. He was just beating Khan from pillar to post. And then as you stated, Vail, in a um, <clears throat> sixth round, you know, it's just too much. The referee saw enough. He had him on the ropes. And then he just ended up, um, the ref ended up stopping the fight. And I'm glad that he did because that wasn't going to get any better. All in all, when the fight was done, Khan landed 34 punches, Brooklyn at 79. And Brooke landed at a 35% clip, where Khan landed at only 23, 23%. So no matter how you slice it, Kale Brooke was definitely uh, winning that fight. And I just think that no matter what time that they fought, the result was going to be the same. I think that Brooke probably would have killed Khan had he not, had they not had the um, the clause in the, in the agreement where you couldn't go over a certain amount of uh pounds after the weigh-in before the fight and so i think that that's the reason why he was able to take and eat a lot of those chocolate brownies but at the end of the day um i just think that kill is just a better fighter than amir khan but shout out to both guys i really like how things ended where they're much more cordial with one another and i don't think that from brooks standpoint it was bad blood there it was just more so he wanted to fight and he wanted to show that he was better than Amir Khan. And Amir Khan, with his status, he wasn't willing to relinquish, you know, what he had and, and allow Kill Brook to still shine, you know, that he had as far as the popularity type thing. But it was eating at him. You know, at some point he knew that he had to see Kill Brook because that would be something that would be missing in his career. And so I'm glad those guys got it done. And then I'm also glad, like I said, that they were able to shake at the end and they seem like they have a, a pretty good relationship moving forward. But that's what I saw um, out there in the UK. Yeah, not much to add on my end. I will defend my point, though, since you since you called me out. I had originally predicted a brute decision, and then the more I watched surrounding the fight, I was like, this going to end in a stoppage. And... For a second, I wasn't sure how Brooks over the bones was going to hold up. And I thought that maybe Khan training with Bomack and Bud would, because Bud had just beat him. You know, I thought that, I would say I thought with my head, but I was like, maybe, you know, something in my gut tells me that they may be able to leverage Khan's speed in order to get to those orbital bones. And in the first round, you know, he was working a jab early. And for a brief second, I was like, all right, maybe he, he's going to get to him. But the problem was he was moving his feet too much to really land anything of substance. And so, yeah, halfway through that round, Brooke was seeming like he wasn't respecting the power. And he remained patient, you know. And then the second round was the beginning of the end to me because not only was he moving his feet too much to land anything of substance, not sitting down on anything, but his hand speed was looking real human. It wasn't the, the speed that I was hoping that, you know, like he would leverage. I wouldn't say hoping because I was kind of neutral in the fight. I just wanted to see a good fight. Um, but that was the only really event. That was really his only advantage. And once that happened, you know, like once that didn't play out the way he wanted, Brooke started the time and it started to walk him down. And it was only a matter of time. And you know, uh, I also want to salute Khan because I thought he was hurt after the first the way his legs was, you know, legs look kind of stinky, you feel me? Uh, but shout out to him for lasting as long as he did. 
Um, but, you know, I'm glad they was able to settle the score and, and really just move past this as men and, you know, be able to show that respect at the end. That's kind of what you, you know, as fans, you want to see like the heated stuff coming into it, but you, you know, these guys are also men at the end of the day. And so you want to see them be able to shake and, and walk away. And so I'm glad they was able to do that. Uh, you guys have anything more on the fight itself? Yeah, I was just going to say that the text message was just looking like a Todd McShay uh, NFL draft board. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm like, <laughs> this is what I wanted to do for y'all. I was like, you know how some people operate best under pressure. You know what I mean? When you procrastinate to the last minute for the, for the group project, but you still come through. So I was like, let me get these guys a little head up and then he be knowing on the he be knowing boards. You know what I mean? So I can go ahead and make my triumphant comeback towards in, you know, the last half of the year. Yeah, you, you, that one right there, though, you might want to wait, you know, for another <laughs> bout, you know, to to try to, you know, come up like that was a that was tough because kind of, you know, just looking at him in the past, he, he does well sometimes. And, and, and check this out. What he was doing is it was a couple of times where he was just missing Brooke. And so if he was able to land some of those shots because he was doing that against Canelo. It was a couple of times where the shots that he would shoot would just whistle past his opponent in a Canelo fight and then also in this fight. But he doesn't really have that much power. But against Brooke, it was more so, is he going to catch that eye? You know what I'm right. saying? I see it happening. But at the same time, it's just it was just too far and few in between. Yep. Yep. And then, you know, it's it's tough when you when when you throwing stuff and you know that 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 window narrowed even more when Brooke was like, you know, I'm gonna go ahead and walk through these shots. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Because even if you're a better boxer at that point, mentally and physically, you can only you can't keep nobody off you for another 10, nine rounds if they're just coming for you, whatever you throw, it don't matter. And then they start to time it and they're coming like mentally that you're, you're just not going to make it. So can I ask you guys one thing? What do you think if these guys fought and they prime con prime broke, what do you think would have happened there? I think the same thing would have happened because when I think prime broke, I'm thinking like the brook that beat Sean Porter, the brook mm -hmm. that doesn't have two broken orbital bones. Mm -hmm. So I think you're going to have a quicker con and you're going to have a Brook who's really his only weakness is the orbital bones. Like it's, it's hard for him to get out box. You know what I mean? Like he was doing well against triple G. He was doing well against Spence, but he got his orbital bones broken. Mm -hmm. And so in their primes, you have a quicker con, but time and beat speed. So you're going to have a two healthy orbital bones and, you, and Brook is eventually going to time him. And he's mm -hmm. eventually going to do the same thing he did. Yeah, I agree. It's it's the same fight. It's just more, I think it was a more brutal fight. And I think Brooke probably would have been a little more uh sharper in his style. Not saying he didn't, I mean he fought a brutal style and he really walked Khan down, but I think he would have been more measured uh in his prime and Khan would have been, you know, faster. So it would have been a sharper fight. Not sure, I'm not sure if it would have been just a you know, looking at both fights, if they if that fight would have happened. I'm not sure if it would have been a better fight, but it would have been a sharper fight. I think the same result would have happened, but it may, may have happened differently. I think Brooks still would have probably put kind of sleep. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's a shame um, how things played out for Brooke. 
by them putting him in there with Triple G. Like, it was no reason for them to do that. Like, Brooke was a bad boy, man. Like, yeah. he was really, like, okay, if you put Mayweather number one, Brooke was definitely the next dude right there. I'm talking about above any of those guys at that time that the kill Brooke was that dude. Very, very sharp. You know what I mean? Like you say, he had everything. Strong, big, had the chocolate brownie. He can box. He can move. He can, man, just about everything. That's He, he could have been, went down as one of the best boxers from the UK of all time had they not put him in that situation to fight the monster at 160 pounds. You know, it just didn't make any sense. But shout out to Kale, man. That's going to be a real what if story for real, for real, because Apparently, like he was doing Eddie when he was still a mushroom, you know, he was doing Eddie Hearn a favor by taking that fight. And he was also being avoided by the elite guys on, on this side of the pond. But even if you think about the what if of like, because when he, by the time he fought Spence, he was basically damaged goods, but he was holding his own in those first five rounds. So it's almost like, man, what if he would have just got that Spence shot before that Triple G shot? You know what I mean? And it's like, what if he propels himself to the top of the welterweight? And just like, you know, it's it just going to be a big what if. And I, I hate that for him, but I'm glad that he was able to have this memory. And I'm glad he was able to, you know, compete at high levels and, and respect him greatly for always daring to be great. Yeah. And remember, you're supposed to fight Jesse Vargas around that time to get the other belt. Yep. And then they ended up, you know, making a triple G fight. Yeah. But that was some very good, some very good boxing talk, fellas. But, you know how we always do. You know, we got two 35-year-old guys who came off a of long layoffs. And, you know, we saw it happen. How it played out is how it played out. Where do y'all think they go from here? All right, so I'm going to start off with Amir Khan. That's, that's a really good question. I think that for Amir Khan, I think it's easy. I think that he's seen his better days. And at this point, if he continues, then he can really have some serious health damage done to him just based on the fact of how he responds to punches like he doesn't respond well and you don't want to be somebody who has like neurological damage done to you or just brain damage from the sport don't let the the, the sport retire you retire from the sport so i think with amir khan is, is much more clear cut with uh mr chocolate brownie himself especially okay it's a little bit more difficult um, to say um, because he looked good, but that was against Khan. That's, that's against a pretty shot, Amir Khan. And I don't necessarily think that he can compete with the top level guys at 147. I think Brooke is in a situation where he's a fighter who is probably like 150, 152 pound fighter, but there's no weight class for that weight. You know, that's where he's most comfortable. That's where he's most, um, he has a lot of advantages against other guys is if he could, you know, fight around that weight. If he, maybe if he can have a catch weight with somebody around that, that weight, he'll be fine. And not a weight clause in addition to fighting at 151, 152. If he does that, he can, probably compete against some of those maybe welterweights um maybe i just think they're a little bit too sharp for him at this stage of his career not that he wouldn't be successful it's just all about once they end up tagging him on those metal plated 
orbital bone um, fracture that he that he had. So that's my biggest concern for him. So really, I was hearing somebody say, you know, what really be a good fight would be him and Keith Thurman. Keith Thurman, you know, looks like he might be just a little bit past it. That was a fight, you know, back in like 2014. That's another fight, you know, similar to the Amir Khan fight that was, a, you know, not necessarily ever talked about, but you would want to have seen it happen like during that time because you had the number one and number two world to weight who's the best i think most people believe that kill brook was the best at the time but you still have that um situation that could be resolved if it's at 147 then i think that thurman is going to be able to um defeat kill and that's still a tricky fight because at the same time when you gotta kill brooks who has his issues that are related to the eye, you still have Keith, who's so vulnerable to the body. And then also he kind of wilts towards the middle to end the fights. So it's still a, a, a you know, interesting matchup. I would, wouldn't mind seeing that fight if there was a weight clause where they can, it, where it was a um, catch weight, I would say. Then I think that that's a pretty, 50 50 uh pretty much a 50 50 fight so that for him moving forward if he's gonna fight any of those welterweights i would like to see him face keith thurman but really that's if he decides to do that if he decides right now what i would like to see him do is just to retire he's gonna end on a good note you know he finally got the grudge match um victory that he was always looking for and he can just ride off into the sunset, you know, like I said, on a high note. So that's what I would like for Kill. But if he's going to fight somebody, you know, get the try to pursue Keith Thurman fight. Yep. You basically said what I was going to say about Khan. Um, you know, at, after this fight, I don't think he'll be able to get away with fighting anymore like Billy Dibbs in Dubai. You know what I mean? And he's made a ton of money out this sport and can still walk away with his head up as a very accomplished fighter. You know what I mean? Um, I said it a second ago, but it's unfortunate for Brooke that he didn't get more evenly matched fights in his prime at welterweight because now he's in a place where um, there's like kind of a almost a changing in the guard. You know, there's no one else out of the older welterweights from the fight in the sense that the guys that are left who are Keith Thurman, he fought Bud, he's fought Spence. So it's really only Keith Thurman left. And while I think that would be a good fight for a reason that you named, is Keith Thurman going to want to fight a non-champion, you know? Um, now, they are in the same age bracket, you know what I mean? And I think if Keith Thurman were willing to travel to the U.K., I think Kelbrook made him some fans, in the, some more fans in the U.K., and I think there is potential for that fight. I would not be against that. Um, but I, I know that that's kind of in terms of, like, most welterweights, that like I don't want to see him fight a Boots or a Virgil. Um, he he may fight UK level guys because um, I I can tell he still has the hunger and he show he still has some of the tank. Um, another name I thought of would be Connor Ben. You know Connor Ben is up and coming. He's proven well more or less he's proven that uh, he deserves a step up in competition past your Chris Algieri's. And Kell Brook would be a good test. I would be a little bit afraid for Kell Brook because Connor Ben got some thump behind them punches, man. And I was looking on Sky Sports, and I also saw uh, Chris Eubank call him out. And, you know, like, it's like, if I'm Kell Brook, do I really want to, while there would be a good domestic fight, 
do I really want to go up to weight classes? And really, now if, if the orbital bones want a thing, then okay, maybe, you know, because I think he might be able to outbox Eubank, but I don't know if that's something that I want to see him at. I watched the Portaway podcast and Porter was talking about how a lot of guys say, oh, it's come back home on a fight. And he references what Andre Ward say has said in those instances where people told Andre Ward to come back and fight. You know, because you know, one thing that you know the fans will say is you still got one more left in you. And Andre Ward said, Why can't I just have one more left in me? You know what I mean? Like, why can't I have that one more left, but still walk away with my health intact, still walk away and be able to, you know, see my family? And so, you know, Kel has Brooke has such a big heart, and so I could see him continuing, and there are some intriguing fights to be made, but I hope that he walks away as a as a fan and as like a human who hasn't had an over bone broken but has seen a guy have two broken like i hope he walks away yeah um i think really both of these guys should walk away i think this is the fight that both really really wanted they got it it's over i mean uh especially in amir, amir khan's case i mean how many of these fights are we gonna watch i mean it, I, watching a amir khan fight is getting easier and easier to, to predict now, you know, based on the status of the fighter. And he has nothing else to prove. We, we already know everything we need to know about him, you know. Uh, he has a lot of heart, but that he has, you know, chin issues. And even when he tries to, you know, will himself to, 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 to not get knocked out, you can still see when he gets stunned that his, his whole body language change. And I don't think that's ever going to change for him. It's definitely not going to change at this, this age that he's at right now. So, uh, he's made a lot of money. He has nothing else to prove. He's always a name that that he could always be a victim where that's a big name. And they, 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 they always throw money at him to, to get in there with any of these 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 uh, up and coming guys. I think he should just walk away with his, you know, health intact. Um, he, he'll, he'll, he'll probably always feel that his pro career didn't turn out the way that he felt it should. But he's going to have to live with that because at the end of the day, He's a silver medalist. Nothing anybody can ever do can ever take that away from him. So I, I think that should be it for American. But Kel Brook, it is trickier because he, you know, he looked pretty good, you know, in the stoppage of Khan. But at, at this stage, I mean, it, it, he'll always have those questions. And, and, and it, in his case, he has deeper questions about him than Khan does because. As you as you said as y'all said he never really did reach his potential because he never did get those fights, but it's like I can see him being a victim also where it's already started where you have a guy like uh, Chris Eubank Jr. calling him out you know to to, to and 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 I, I can see Kel Brook having a lot of money thrown at him to fight guys like you know like a Boots or Virgil Ortiz. Or I could see, you know, guys at 154 trying to entice him, you know, to, to, to get in the ring. Uh, and, and I don't think he's really, even as y'all say, he's really a 150 pounder. He's not really cut off 154 because of that, that size difference. I think 147 and 154 is one of those differences in weight classes that once you move up there, it's like the, even the big welterweights are average or small at 154 the way it is now you know especially when you have six foot one <laughs> the average average guy at 154 is like six feet tall you know um 
So I don't think that's the answer to Kell Brook for, for Kell Brook neither. And I, and I don't like what I, what I, I would see in the future. And, and yeah, I, I think a I, uh, Keith Thurman fight will be enticing, but even in my opinion, I think Keith Thurman would still hurt Kell Brook too, you know, at this point. Uh, and, and it's sad that it wasn't always the case and he probably would have been better, you know, a few years ago, but this is the reality. And I don't want to see, I don't, I don't, I don't, cause Kell Brook is one of those guys. You don't, you, you don't really hit him. Only Crawford really hit him when he went down. He takes a lot of punishment just like Khan does. And, and I don't want to see him take, get into any of these brutal fights where he's taking a lot of more punishment than usual. So he, he, I mean, he got the win. He won it. He won the, the grudge match. Match. He can just walk to the sunset with his, his, his hand held high. He can, you know, put his chocolate brownies in the refrigerator. You know, put put it in a pan. You know, he, he can do whatever he wants. Be a host of something. You know, I mean, he's a uh, impressionable guy. You know, it, it's a lot of things he can do outside of boxing. You know, he, he's given the sport his health and everything that, that he wanted to give the sport. Uh, and he should has nothing to be ashamed of. He should just go out in the sunset and be happy. Joy life. I just want to say this. I know we, we, we exhausted this topic, but I do want to um, say two things. One is it's funny how the tables have turned because when Kill Brook was on top, when he was at his apex, when he was at his very best, it was a lot of guys who were reluctant on facing him. And now where he's at in his, his career, you know, you'll have, it's more guys who are, who would be willing to face him now to get that name on their resume, you know, and, and it's a shame that it's that way. I wish, you know, more guys, you know, when guys are, you know, at the peak of their powers that they will want to test themselves, you know, in that moment, as opposed to waiting till somebody's skills have diminished or they had sustained certain injuries and things like that. It just doesn't look good. The other thing I want to say is this, is that I, I commend both guys because, you know, a lot of times I, I might call some of the UK guys wankers, you know, blokes, um, dulcers, you know, and whatnot. I don't, I don't feel that way about these guys um, because they are really, truly um what the sport is about you know like Khan is it, although he has that major chink in his armor Kilbrook I always admire Kilbrook's skill and I always admire Kilbrook for you know having a kahunas willing to face a triple g at the height of his powers you know when most people wouldn't even consider facing triple g at that at that particular time you got to give it up and those are two guys who that, you know, when you, when you hear the term die with your boots on, like those are two guys who really are willing to die with their boots on. So I just want to say shout out to them and whatever decisions that they make in their career, hopefully um, it works out for them. Most definitely, most definitely. Another fight took place tonight. Uh, I believe it was at middleweight where the uh, hard hitting up and comer, uh, Jaime Mogia, he took on Demetrius Ballard. Uh, did you check that fight out, guys? And what were your thoughts on it? Yes, sir. I did check it out. Uh, we got Jaime Munguia, uh with the homecoming fight. He's now 39 and 0 with 31 knockouts. And we had Demetrius Ballard out of PG County, 21, 1 and 1 with 13 knockouts. You know, again, this was mo mostly a homecoming fight for Munguia. Um, 
after he beat Rosado in the fall, he was saying that he wanted a title shot. Um, that did not pan out for him. Um, so, you know, we you kind of got this. Uh, this was a step up for Demetrius Ballard. Uh, round one, you know, uh, was a largely filling out round. Um, nobody really did a whole lot. Uh, round three, you know, this is a three-round fight, and round three is really where it really got interesting to me. It was simply Munguia with his with his style coming forward, opening up with flurries, uh, both to the body and the head, and he stunned uh, Ballard, caught him with a check hook that put him down, and, um, you know, it was essentially all she wrote from that round three. Now, Ballard looked game, you know, but McGee just came on too strong. Um, there wasn't a whole lot to take from this fight. I didn't learn a whole lot new. I didn't really learn anything new from Munguia. Um, I'm still not sure, you know, the title shot that he wants, I'm still not sure where that's going to come from. You know, if Triple G takes that Canelo deal, that ties up both him and Murata. And if Murata loses, he would no longer be a title holder. And so you, you basically leaves you with Triple G, Canelo, or Charlo. Charlo doesn't want no, no parts of Munguia, let's just be honest, um, especially because he might take that Canelo deal. And um, that leaves, you know, with one person, which I would personally like to see. I think that him and Demetrius Andre would be a good fight. I think, like, it seems like it would be the easiest fight to make. They both fight on the zone as it is. They're both looking to step up. And so um, regardless of who he fights next, I'm hoping that it's going to be the step up we've been waiting for him to have. He's been, he's what, 25 years old. I'm not sure of his age, but he's 39 fights into the game and we've been waiting for him to step up. And so now was that time. So hopefully we see it. Yeah, you gave a, a good breakdown. It wasn't, you know, much to ride home about. It was pretty much a showcase fight for Munguia. Uh, but yeah, Valor would, you know, he was determined, you know, to be in this fight. But I do think even in the first round, even though he was, you know, was doing pretty well, uh, I didn't like his body language when he was taking punches from McGee, and it wasn't even like McGee was really stepping on it. McGee really was playing it safe, uh, especially in the first round, the first two rounds. He was, he was definitely, you know, being patient, being more, you know, uh, measured with what he was doing, trying to see what Ballard was bringing to the table. And, and just, I just didn't like the, the, the expression on Ballard's face when, when McGee was, you know, laying some letter on him, and he wasn't really, McGee wasn't even doing too much. So once the third round came came along and um, we'll get hurt, uh, Ballard, and then it was pretty much all she wrote. But I do I do think I am impressed with his offensive uh, arsenal once he has his guys hurt. I thought this fight, he, he, of course, he fought too pre too uh, measured measured of an approach. But once Ballard was hurt, I, the way he was putting those combinations in and the speed, I think. Uh, I, I was pretty impressed with that. And I'm like, it'd be interesting to see him in, in more exciting fights with, with a uh, heavier competition, not saying he will win those fights, but I, I think it would just be, it'll bring out more within him. That's inside of him. Uh, Cause I'm not sure if he has that, even though he has that offensive arsenal, he doesn't have that dog that I, I would see. I would see from like a David Benavidez, you know, um, it, it has to be brought out by, by somebody. So, I, so, as you said, uh, Danny, I, for what it's worth, I think that at one point he was the, the mandatory for uh, Demetrius Andre's uh, title, and he hasn't been keen on taking that fight. And 
and it goes back to, to, to Will's point. I mean, if somebody's at the height of their powers, why wouldn't you fight them? And, and I understand, you know, there's a, the hurt business and all that, but you're a competitor. And I think we're too hard on fighters, when, you know, once they lose one time, like they're done or anything like that. I mean, that should, I think the fear of taking a loss should not stop guys from, from testing their, their, testing their powers to see where they were at. So I think that fight, it's the one of the easiest fights to make, and it's interesting how that fight isn't isn't getting made, or depending on you know what Canelo decides to do in that equation that we we're going to talk about uh, shortly. In that equation, there are two middleweights in that equation, you know, and if and whatever way that Canelo takes one of those middleweights will be free for Magia to 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 to, to fight. So. For what it's worth, I mean, he has options. It's it just like, why is he, isn't he taking those options? And this goes back to even when he had the title 154 and his handlers really wasn't trying to put him in the ring with, you know, a guy like a Charlo or even an Erickson Lubin at that time or Ter- Tony Harrison, who, who was flourishing at that time. Um, so I'm, I'm always impressed with how McGee, it, it just I just want to see him, see more of him against top tier competition. It's nothing too much further, you know, to discuss, you know, as far as the bout was concerned. I thought that um, Magia, he impressed me. Uh, when I see him now, I think that fight that he had against Gabe Rosado did a lot for him. And another reason why I was impressed is because of how he looked so drained. It looked like he was having difficulty making weight. I don't know the images that I saw that was it like at the weigh-in, was this before the weigh-in? I don't know, but it was some images circulating and video circulating of them, like waving towels and stuff at him, giving him water, just kind of trying to revive him because he was kind of like um, feeling faint and he almost fainted, you know? And so to see him in the ring looking so strong and so powerful, um, pretty quick as well, you know? But he was, he was facing a fighter that um, was pretty nondescript you know, answering into this fight, you know, we, we kind of predicted already that the fight wouldn't last that long because Ballard is pretty, pretty slow. But um, I was impressed. I want to mention this also is that I was impressed because Mangia was fighting somebody who fought at the 175 pound weight class or in the 175 weight class in the past. So when he was in the ring, you can see that Ballard was a bigger guy. And typically what they were saying is that that's what was a criticism of McGee was that he was fighting guys who were smaller, um, like Saddam Ali. Like he looked way much more bigger than those guys. And he was just taking advantage, being a weight bully. You know, he wasn't the bigger man, but he was, you know, equally as impressive as he was when he was um, putting on, you know, high quality performances such as a Saddam Ali. But I think he, he's caught his rhythm now. And he, he kind of, his skills and, his his attributes are matching his mindset, his mentality, his understanding and know-how. And so that's all starting to come together. He's only 25 years old. So he has, uh, um, you know, I think he has a high ceiling, you know, that he can he can reach, you know. And, and but like I say, he wasn't fighting um, much of, a, of, a, of an opponent because when I looked at the fight, you know, if I do want to, I do want to touch on that part a little bit. It's kind of like that, that LTD Jeffrey Osborne, 
um, song that they had back in the day. And so when I saw Ballard's name, it always reminds me of the song Love Ballad. I'm not sure you guys might be a little too young to know about that. I have never felt so much That's in the one. love before. Then he say, what a difference. And what a difference I saw was that left hook. When he hit him with that left <laughs> then I knew that it was out of his deep. And it was just a matter of time before he was going to catch him and put him on ice. And so the referee saw it. He, he hit him with a barrage of punches. And shout out to the referee for stopping the fight in that moment because it was going to get ugly uh, for Ballard. But last thing I'm going to say is this, is that now I agree, Bill, that guys should face each other. And I, I said that earlier in another segment that guys should face guys at the peak of their powers. That's what you want. That's what you want from a fighter. With Jaime McGee, I can understand to a certain degree why they're moving him the way that they're moving him. Because if he remains patient, who wants to lose out on the type of fan base that he has? You saw how they were rocking out there in Tijuana. You know, Mexicans support their guys now. So it's going to come a time when they're they're going to stop supporting him if he doesn't you know take one of those guys i think that he has maybe a year or two left like for instance now if he moves in the direction of taking on the guy last week that we were talking about cash he's a top 10 middleweight so he can fight somebody like that he can attempt to fight somebody like a um let me see morada you know what I'm saying? And even like go towards that triple G and get that name on his resume and kind of see if he can do more damage to triple G than um, Canelo. And then that can propel him because he's kind of next up like Canelo, those guys like in their early thirties and stuff like that. And he's 25. So once they start to leave, then he can be the next guy coming up. So I, that's how I look at it for him. And by him being patient, those other guys are about to leave. I think Andre is about to move to 168. And then you got Charlo's about to move to 168. So then it's really the, the middleweight division, if he's still there, because I don't know, based on him looking like he was about to faint, I don't know how long he's going to be able to make 160 pounds. But if that is the direction that they're trying to go, it makes sense for him to really have the division, you know, pretty much in the palm of his hands, you know, once those guys leave. And then he can establish himself and then kind of do the Canelo thing, like, you know, call the shots and do the things that he wants to do. So I can see that. Um, it's just a matter of time um, before he's he will have to move up to 168 and see those guys. Last thing I'm going to say is this. I think right now him and Charlo is kind of a 50-50 fight with his offense and Charlo's, I would say, sketchy defense. I think that that could be problematic, especially when I saw Charlo fight against Montiel this last fight he's a much better version of Montiel way better than Montiel and he has that engine that that hunger that passion to continue to fight like a dog throughout the fight and he's made adjustments to his defense I don't see him getting clipped as much anymore and like I said I attribute that to him learning what he learned in that Gabe Rosado fight but I, I was impressed but it was against limited opposition it was definitely a good showing for him and hopefully he gets that step up um, at some point in 2022 but going to the lightweight division, uh, seasoned veteran Jorge Linares, he went to Russia to fight Zaur Abdullayev this past Saturday. Um, Will, I understand you saw that one? Yeah, I took a look at it. You know, um, actually, I didn't see it live. I was actually at the gym pumping that iron, you know what I mean? I was hitting the weights, you know, 
and the crowd around me was like, man, this dude got all of these uh, 45s. You know, it, it was so many weights that I had on my chest. You know, it was like the it almost broke the the thing on, uh, you know, you know how you lift and it was just like bending, you know, to the point where the, the bar was about to break. But anyway, that's a whole nother conversation. The point I'm trying to make is in between those lifts, I was on my phone and I saw, I was like, dang, I didn't know that the Lenaris Abu Laya fight is happening this early. When I looked, I went to another station, YouTube station. I'm not going to give them credit. I feel like we got the best YouTube, best podcast, you know, across the board is for people to start to recognize themselves, but I'm not going to give anybody any other um, light. You understand what I'm saying? Because they're not doing it for us. So anyway, but I was chiming in to the conversations that they were having. And so what they were saying is, man, Lenara's looking good. That's his first three, four rounds. They say, he's looking good. And, you know, he's putting it on Abdullah. And I said, well, you know what? I said, to me, Lenares is like a top 10 pound for pound for pound fighter in the first six rounds. His problem is going to be towards the end of the fight. Is he going to be able to make it all 12? Because that's when he typically has his issues and all of his losses, with the exception of Devin Haney, have been by KO. And a lot of those fights, like once they get after the sixth or seventh round. And so they chimed in back. They said, well, that doesn't look like it's going to be the case in this fight because of the fact that, you know, Abdullah is not putting any pressure on him. He can do this all day and not get tired. I said, well, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. And so once the 10th round, I started seeing all the stuff that they were saying, and they're like, oh, man, he ended up losing. So let me tell you what I saw. When I did go back and I watched the fight, I saw, I didn't see a huge um, wide margin for either guy. So when I'm looking at the fight, I thought that like the early rounds, some of them, I slightly edged Jorge Linares. And as they stated, he was, he was doing a good job of, of um, digging some good body shots in there, throwing you know, more combinations. And then he was using a stiff jab, like the round, like rounds one and rounds two. I thought a lot of rounds, it was close. And some of the rounds that were close, you would think the fight was in Russia. So you would think that in a country like that, that if the rounds are close, then it will probably favor the hometown guy. So that, those are some of the things I was taking into consideration when I'm watching these rounds. Um, Abdul Live had his moments. He just wasn't doing a lot, you know, it, at his best in the fight. He was like digging some body shots. He was doing some good body work. And then like towards the middle rounds, he started to be a little bit more aggressive. And then he started throwing some nice combos himself, like mid round. And then, um, once it got about round eight, round seven, I thought it was like kind of like even, evenly matched, you know, fighting that was taking place. You know, I thought that Jorge around towards the the end of, not should say the end of, like round eight, rounds eight and rounds nine, he started to fight more on the back foot, which was telling me, because at first the whole fight was fought like with guys that's right in front of each other, you know, slipping and sliding, throwing punches, digging to the body, nice jabs and things like that. But after a while, once Abdullah started picking up the pressure, then Jorge began to start fighting on the back foot. Not to say he wasn't successful on the back foot, but that let me know that he was, that pressure was starting to get to him. And then that's more than likely that he will get tired or more fatigued as he's moving around more. And lo and behold, that's what happened around round 10. 
Um, I, I gave round 10 to, to Linares because he showed some really good ring generalship while he was fighting on the back foot and he was throwing some nice jabs. But I can still see him just tiring, you know, slightly more and more progressively towards the end of the fight. Round 11, it was kind of even, but Abdullayev, I thought he landed the more effective, heavier shots. Then you get to round 12. Round 12, my man, man, Linares, he didn't have too much left. My um, Abdullayev hit him with a left, dropped him, and then seconds later, he hit him with a, a wide shot that clipped him, and he fell down, got back up, and then on the ropes, he looked pretty helpless to me, and the referee waved it off. And so I thought it was a good stoppage. Some people said it was controversial, but the man is like 35, 36 years of age, and you know, he's known to have like a suspect chin towards the end of, especially towards the end of fights that you don't want him, you know, at this stage or at any stage, you know, to just be defenseless out there and getting tagged. So I, like I said, I thought it was a good stoppage. Now, as far as Abdullah is concerned, because going into this fight, the winner was going to become the mandatory for Devin Haney's WBC strap, which is interesting because Devin Haney defeated both guys already. And so Abdullah lost basically due to an orbital bone injury. And we know Linares gave, um, gave Devin all he can handle. But it's just interesting that he's going to probably have to rematch one of these guys when he's already defeated them. But that's what looks like is going to happen next. Um, but good win for the, the, the Russian. Um, and it's going to be interesting, interesting to see where he goes from here. You guys have any thoughts on that fight? No, sir. So moving along, um, it's been a lot of talk going on the last few weeks on the uh, which next few fights that Canelo Alvarez, the pound for pound king, will take. Uh, and there's two package deals that have been talked about being on a table, and that's one with uh, Matchroom, and there's a second one with PBC. Uh, now the Matchroom deal includes uh, Dimitri Bivol and Gennady Golovkin, and a PBC deal would involve um, Jamal Charlo and David Benavidez. So what are your guys' thoughts on that? Wh which direction do you think he should go? Yeah, and as you guys can, who are listening can recall, we did talk about this last week under the assumption that, you know, based on reports, he had already taken the matchroom deal um, and then, you know, like Lavelle alluded to, uh, PBC sweetened the deal with the second fight up in the offer to 100 mil. Um, and then after, after all of this, Canelo said nothing is official. So that's what we have to go with. So we're going to pretend that there's no mixing and matching, just one or the other. And so for me, I think that the fan-friendly deal would be the PBC deal. Um, more people want to see him fight. Charlo and Benavidez, then they want to see him fight Triple G and, and Bevel. Um, now, I will say that I think that based on what Canelo seems to want, which is to, um, you know, the legacy fights, the belts, the break records, I think that he will take the matchroom because if you fight Bevel and then you're basically using Triple G as a stay busy fight, getting paid a lot of money to, have to fight a stay busy fight to presumably take on the winner of, you know, better BF and Joe Smith Jr. 
and then boom, if you if you beat the winner of that, you know, say better be a wins, he's an older fighter now, and you're fighting one one other person for all the belts at 175, and you're undisputed if he if he goes that route. Versus Charlo, he's not really adding anything to his legacy. Charlo and Benavidez, you're basically just silencing the fans with those. And you're going to make a lot of money either way. Um, so I don't think there's a bad option, but I think that there's the legacy option. And I could see him taking that one. I think either one would be good. I think, as you said, the PBC is more fan friendly as far as what could happen. Uh, but I also think that. You know, because there is no mixing match of this deal, whatever one he, he he takes, it does come with, you know, it has some upsides and it has some downsides. Uh, now, of course, the PVC deal, it offers more money. I, get, I believe it's $100 million. We don't know the details on how that's breaking down, broken down or or who gets what. And the details and, and, and the, the, the side deals and, and not that would have me i'm not in the business of boxing so i wouldn't know none of that so uh just from a number standpoint the pvc deal looks sweeter um it just as you said it doesn't really any fight at below 168 doesn't bring any type of of, of, of belt with it you know any type of championship you know because um, if the fight's gonna be at 168 canelo has all the belts so canelo i think Can, canelo probably if he fights Bibbo, he's going for the 175 strap, which is a, is a, is a big, you know, a, a big thing as far as, you know, Bibbo is not, I mean, of course he did, Canelo did beat uh, Sergey Kovalev for that 100, for 175 title. But of course, Kovalev, you know, at sometimes he's looked at as past it. Bibbo is at, at the, you know, as prime, you know, a young champion. Um, so, in some instances, that fight is more intriguing, but also just from a, a look standpoint, I would I would like definitely see a, a Charlo fight. But even at the same time, you know, Charlo is going through his, you know, he's if he, he's going through some issues as far as legal issues that may come about uh, in his past few weeks, and and also I'm not sure if PBC is just trying to cash him out or or to say, hey, look, I'm a delivery delivering trying to serve him up to Canelo for money, you know, because point, we, we, I, I think, as I've, I've always said, I think Jamel Charlo is the better brother, you know, as far as comparing the two. Jamal has potential, but I think he hasn't taken those fights that he should have taken before this Canelo fight. And I think because he'll be first up the bat in May, I think that would hurt him more than if he would have, you know, taken on a Benavidez first. Really, Charlo and Benavidez should be fighting each other, you know. <laughs> I think that's what should be happening, you know. But hey, I guess when when, when you're waiting on the Canelo sweepstakes, who needs another fighter, you know? So, but then again, you know, you had a Bivol is is even though he's the champion, he has all this potential. It's a lot of things that he hasn't done either. He still hasn't had that victory that can really say, I mean, because I could see after if Canelo beats Bivo and he beats him in a pressure fashion, I could say I could see people saying that Bivo is past it and all this. And of course, if he beats Triple G again, they'll say the same thing. So I'm I'm not sure. Even for me, watching the Canelo fight it, against any of these names is, is is all right for me. So I, I'm fine with either either way he goes. So you don't have a preference. 
This is what you say. I don't have a preference. I think all of these fights are intriguing to me. Okay. Now, um, just to make a few points, and I'll be brief. One, I think all of these guys are in the same boat as far as what have they done. Golovkin really hasn't done anything with the exception of fighting um, Canelo. Bivol, you look at his resume, you like, you know, what, who has he really, I mean, Joe Smith, uh, you know, Charlo, Benavidez, their resumes aren't the greatest. So it, from that standpoint, it really doesn't matter, like, either side. The other thing, and you mentioned, Bill, you said that, you know, is PBC cashing out Charlo? Well, is the zone cashing out Golovkin? He hasn't done much, you know, in the past two, three years, and he's almost 40 years old. He might be 40, you know, going into that fight. So will they be doing the same thing to him? You know, for me personally, the side, the PBC side, take away the promoters and all that type of stuff. People get caught up in all that type of stuff. I'm just saying the deal, the money, $100 million, if that's the case. See, I didn't see all of that. All I saw... The, the deals that I saw was this. I saw that PBC had Charlo, $45 million, I believe, for one fight. And then the other side was like 80-something million for Bivol and then Golovkin. You had Bivol in May, and then you had Golovkin in September. Those That's what I saw. Now, this is accurate right here. These two deals, $100 million for Charlo and Benavidez and the 80-something million for Bivol and Golovkin. I just don't think that it's it's a win. He's in a situation where it's a no-win situation by fighting Bivol and Golovkin because they're still going to be complaining. Nobody is going to complain if he doesn't fight Bivol. What they do, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like he just uh, that's a good fight for hardcore boxing fans. But on the flip side of that, and then Golovkin, he beats Golovkin. Oh man, Golovkin was old. Like he waited till he got old. That's what they're gonna say. Now, he's going to have the 80-something million in his pocket, and he can buy all the pajamas that he want to buy. Cool. But the Charlo Benavides advice that people are saying, you ducking this dude. Now, it's other people that said he ducking, too. But he can knock these dudes off his list of the so-called guys he's ducking. And he can add – I think he will add to his fan base because they're not going to be able – some people who – question his resume saying he's cherry picking he doesn't fight this type of dude he wants to i think he will whoop the mess out of both of those dudes benavidez leave his head way up way too high hasn't faced anybody he's good he's tough he's everything that you want in a fighter without fighting anybody and charlo i think that him moving up to 168 already if they fought at 160 i'm trying to i'm just trying to figure out what's canelo what canelo is waiting for because he's gonna knock the block off these dudes and he would be rewarded handsomely financially, and then he would be rewarded with you taking out these two undefeated dudes who's supposed to be these killers. So that's the direction I would go. But he could he put himself in a situation where Canelo can do basically what he wants because if you look at his resume, the guys, the guys that he's beaten, the guys who, who they're complaining about that he needs to fight hasn't beaten anybody that he's beaten anywhere close to. So I would mention on Canelo's resume. So to me, like I say, he's running laps around these dudes, so he can do whatever it is he want to do. But for me, what I would like for him to do, what I would prefer would be for him to go with the PBC um, package um, because I definitely would be utterly entertained.
by seeing him wax uh, Jamal and David Benavidez. But that's just me. Anything else you guys have? So you think he waxes uh, man he Jamal Charlo, right? Jamal. Dude, dude, both of them. They can put that other one next week. You know what I'm saying? Like he, you, know, <laughs> you heard it here. Quick take. Will says Canelo will wax Jamal Charlo. All right, I'll put it out. See how he couldn't. Did you Daniel see says that too? Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Did you see Jamal Charlo against Montiel last fight? Did you see I, I, I Jamal did. Charlo against uh, Corball? Mm-hmm. I, I did. Yeah, come it, on, man. It, it makes me wonder why. Look like that again. Huh? Go, go ahead. I'm just saying, have you ever seen Canelo get pieced up like that against anybody? I've seen him in a situation where they say, oh, he might have won. Like, he wasn't getting pieced up. It was just the fact that, you know, he might have – it was close in that, the Lara fight, right? But outside of that, the Lara fight, I thought the – the but that was early in his career. I thought the uh, Austin Trout fight was close. I think that knocked down one Canelo to fight. Was Austin uh, Trout piecing him up? I said, no, he wasn't piecing him up. I, I, I thought Triple G was piecing him up in the first fight. Piecing him up? Yeah, with his jab. Yes, I, I, I used to pepper him with his jab, yes. Uh, I thought so. I, I didn't see no piece up. I saw. I, I thought Triple G, if I, if it, I only saw the fight once, I was surprised that it was a draw because uh, based on what I was seeing and based on what I was hearing from the commentating, but also I threw back a couple of those uh, beers at, at, at the spot too, so... You know, I was on my way out. <laughs> what kind of beers were they? It was some IPAs. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay, I, yeah, it was a thick stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I said, man, I said, the guy asked me what I wanted. And I said, uh, it don't matter. So I judge my beers based on the ABV. You know what I'm saying? The volume. So whatever it is that you got that's your top level volume, you know, I want to sit back, relax, chill, and watch, you know, my main man, Canelo. You know? <laughs> Last one's at the bar. Yeah, you got to go with the name. But anyway, I'm just saying. Like, I just think I think that he would beat anybody that you have. I think Bill might be the toughest fight out of all of them. And the last thing I'm gonna say is this: is that with the the Bill the the zone side doesn't make sense because he's he's fighting Bill like 175. Then he's gonna drop back down to 168 to fight Golovkin. To me, that makes that doesn't make as much sense as you at 168 you know, fighting those guys and you having somebody come. Because uh, Golovkin is going to have to come up to 168. And so, so with Charlo. That's what I'm saying. So Charlo will have to come up to 168, but he doesn't have to move. Canelo will be right there where he's comfortable at. And the other guys are making those weight fluctuations, not him. You the cash, you know what I mean? You have people come to you, at, you know, how you want them to come to you. I mean, because Bivo can fight at 168, but Bivo has that title, so I don't. We don't know if that type that that fight could be at 172. We don't know. What sense would that make? And then, then that even makes it even more like it doesn't make sense. Canelo is the has done his thing before, so that he could that could happen. You know. Well, what I'm saying is that wouldn't make as much sense if you got this man coming down and wait he can fight at 168 but that's also going to deal with that's going to lead to the perception of if you beat him that it's only because he came down to fight you at this weight so that's going to take a little bit of luster off the victory anyway well he was going to do that anyway if he would have fought makabu he would have went up the cruiser and then came back down to light heavy or came back down to 168 um, if he was going to if he was going to do that, but I didn't see these names being the ones that he was going to face once he came back down. 
this is the thing. This is how I think Canelo was thinking. I think he gonna go up the one seventy five, and then he gonna have either better BF or Joe Smith get his get his other belts, and then he gonna use that Triple G as a stay busy, because I think his end game was either to be a five a five belt, uh, five division champion, or to be the first time ever undisputed champ, at the, in the male side the first time ever undisputed champ in two weight classes. It seems like he's taking that latter option. And, you know, I think that's what he's going for. He's going for 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 those legacy moves. I think he's still – right now, see, he's what he's going to do, if he's doing all of that stuff, what he's going to do to himself is what they did to Kell Brooks' career. Right now, Canelo's at the peak of his powers. He got about maybe one or two more years, whereas he, he's almost untouchable right now. So right now, this is when you want to go ahead and knock these dudes off while you are at your apex. Now, if you go ahead and do all of those type of things that you mentioned, then that could play a factor in his demise because you're playing with your weight, you're going up, you're going down, you're doing all of that type of stuff. Man, just go ahead and whoop these dudes, man, and get and collect that hundred million. But we can go on all day about this stuff, man. It's starting to get me angry. At first, I just wanted to go ahead and share <laughs> ideas and thoughts. Quick now, take wheel. Yeah, come on. Quick take wheel. Now I might have to go back to the gym. It's more that iron, you know? Man, yeah, bend that bar. Uh -huh. Put, hey, get that video you bitching, bitching at 468 pounds. I got you. Next time. <laughs> we, we, we ready for the next one? Yeah, next yeah, we ready. All right, so let's go ahead and get back to our prediction game. So now, uh, next week, we got you know, another undisputed champion, Josh Taylor. He's going to be facing another UK opponent in Jack Catterall. Um, Danny, I, I know that you did some extensive research on uh, Mr. Catterall. Uh, what do you think is the likely outcome of that boxing match? Yeah, I did a little, little something. But um, so, you know, going into it, we got Taylor's 18 and no, 13 knockouts, 5 foot 10, 69 and a half is reached, 31 years old. Uh, we saw him last beat Jose Ramirez by unanimous decision last May. And Jack Catterall, 26-0 with 13 knockouts, 5'7", 67 is reach, 28 years old. He last beat Abdarazak Huya by unanimous decision in November of 2020. Now, he's had some pretty good domestic wins, Catterall. Um, and it's worth noting that after that last one, he took a step-aside deal for Taylor to fight Ramirez. Unfortunately, he hasn't had any activity in the ring since taking that deal. And so we, you know, we kind of got a long layoff on our hands and it didn't help that Taylor had a knee injury, which is why the fight was postponed until next week. Now they do have common opposition in O'Hara Davies, um, who Taylor stopped in seven rounds back in 2017 and then Catterall beat him on points in 2018. Since then, Taylor has went on to defeat pretty much the who's who on the world stage at 140. And Catterall has, you know, had a few more wins, kind of more so on the European stage. Um, I do think Catterall does a lot of good things, but nothing great. Um, Will, I remember you said this about a fighter recently. It might have been Mike Garcia. Or I forget who you said it about, but, you know, when I was looking at his previous fights, he doesn't really have those special effects. You know what I mean? Um, he doesn't have knockout power at the elite level. 
And if it goes to a decision, based on what I've seen from his previous fights, as of you know 2020, I don't see him boxing well enough to convince the judges to crown a new undisputed champion. Um, I also, you know, this is a mandatory, and you know, when these instances sometimes, you know, people say that fighters have you know trouble kind of getting up for guys like Catterall. No disrespect to him, but you know, I think that. Taylor is pretty motivated, and I think that even if he weren't motivated, I trust in his camp to keep his head in the game if there were any concern of him not getting up for his opponent. So um, I think Taylor, I could see a stoppage, but I think the safe bet is that he'll win by unanimous decision. Uh, did you guys have anything on that? I fancy old Josh is going to knock out this wanker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I... – yeah, I've seen some with Jack Catterall. I don't see anything that's gonna too much trouble Josh Taylor. I mean, and, and, and I think some of a lot of it comes down to experience too. I think he's in kind of in over his head. You know, he, he he doesn't have the experience and he hasn't really made it past the domestic level. So unless he, he wants to pull unless Catterall pulls out this this uh performance that we've never seen, expect the Josh Taylor victory. Yeah, I, I think, you know, just to get the prediction on paper, you know, on record, I think that this is just a defense, you know, um, he's a domestic level fighter. He's a little too slow. Um, I saw him in one fight. I just I just wasn't impressed. I wasn't impressed with his speed. I wasn't impressed with his power. I just didn't see anything that's going to trouble um, Josh. So I think that, you know, he's going to get him out of there probably in the mid rounds. It could be another, um, what was his name? That uh, console, you know, type situation where he gets hit with a body shot or something, you know, Josh has some pretty, pretty good power at the 140 pound limit. And I don't think that the guy is going to be able to take his punches uh, for too long. So I, I see a stoppage by Josh Taylor. Sounds good. Well, uh, with our last topic, uh, staying in the prediction realm and preview realm, um, also at the 140-pound division, we have Gary Antoine Russell. Uh, he's fighting Victor Postel, who Josh Taylor's previously fought. Uh, how do you guys see that one playing out? Now, this right here is going to be a really, really good fight, I believe. Um, you got Gary Antoine Russell. He's a southpaw, 25 years old. Um, some have him at 5'10", some have him at 5'8". You know, he looks, I would say, 5'9". You know, he's 14-0 with 14 KOs. He'll be fighting the Iceman, Victor Postal, who's 5'11", 73-inch reach, 31-3 with 13 KOs, but that 38 years of age is what really concerns me. And that's why if he wasn't his age and he wasn't as inactive as he's been, I would definitely favor Victor Postal in this fight. Now, Gary Antoine Russell, he's good now. Don't get me wrong. He last fought in May against Giovanni Santiago, the same guy that gave um, the problem, Adrian Broner, all types of trouble. He uh, beat him by six round, I think, Santiago retired, you know, after the sixth round, but it was a very impressive victory on, on Gary Antoine Russell's part. And then Postal hasn't fought in 
over 18 months. And like you said, it was against Jose Carlos Ramirez, where he lost the majority 12 round decision. And I thought that he actually won, but I, I knew that it was going to be tough for Victor to get the victory against Ramirez. The fact that they already had that Josh Taylor fight pretty much set up. You know, if you look at Gary Antoine Russell, just he reminds me of, of, of several different guys, you know. He kind of reminds me of like Julian Jackson-ish, uh, Sean Porter kind of fighter. Like if you mix them two together, you know, he, he's really, really relentless. You know, he, he's always in beast mode. He also has like a little Aaron Pryor-ishness to him as well. So it, it's just hard to pinpoint exactly like which style that he kind of utilize is kind of a little bit of all of those guys and then also you got to add in that he kind of looks like willis from different strokes too you know but the young man is is relentless man um one thing that i don't uh, he has to be careful of based on what i've seen is that he leaves himself open and when i looked at his highlights people were really impressed with his offense but the one thing that i see is that he's open down the middle and you got to take into consideration that this young man has two impressive victories over Boots Ennis in the amateurs. Um, but again, you know, he's a pressure fighter. You know, he gets real physical on the inside, you know, and it's that physicality he brings that his opponents have yet been able to overcome as well as that power. You know, Gary Antoine Russell has also, he also has superb balance, you know, and it's a method to his madness. When you see him in there, you know, being as relentless as he is, you know, shooting all of those shots, it's a technique and strategy that he's using. He's not just, you know, somebody who is not um, calculated, I, I would say. Now, his opponent, you know, the venerable one, you know, he, he's, he's well-respected in, in the sport of boxing. A lot of guys aren't really necessarily rushing to fight Victor Postal, even at this advanced stage in his career, because he utilizes his length that long jab to keep his opponents at a safe distance. And then he moves deftly um, where he either holds his opponent, like when they get in, in close, and he is a master at controlling the distance, you know, working from the outside with good technique and timing. So this is going to be an interesting just based on the styles, you know. To me, how this plays out, it's going to depend. Like I said, man, um, how much does Postal have left? You know, is he anywhere near he was against Ramirez? And he also gave Taylor all he can handle. And if he's anywhere where he used to be, he's going to win his fight because he's just too skilled. You know, this is the type of fighter that he wants. He likes to fight these type of guys. I remember him when uh, Matisse was still pretty good. You know, he was coming there with all of that power and stuff like that, but he just fought the perfect fight because just with his style, he see all of the little stuff that they, they're trying to do. He has that length, that reach, and he just knows how to tie those guys up. Very, very technically sound fighter. Now, if he's aged and he's rusty and not fighting, you know, the fact that he hasn't fought in 18 months, then he's going to be fooled for this young, hungry Russell, you know. And so that's going to be the interesting thing that they see in this fight, how this thing plays out. Um, like I say, Russell in the pros, man, he's been very impressive, you know, but the opposition he's faced hasn't required him to make any adjustments. He hasn't really gotten hit by somebody who has some power. You know, he hasn't had those moments where he was frustrated and had to dig deep to any degree. 
you know, so to me, like I said, this is a 50-50 fight. Um, and like I said, Russell beat Ennis twice in the amateurs by his aggressive and by being so aggressive or using his aggressiveness and his awkwardness. But you got to keep in mind that Boots at that time, he was Kermit the Frog, Kermit the Frog Green. So that's not going to be, be the case when he faces a fighter like the Iceman, Postal. So like I said, I, I have no clue. I, I can't really make a prediction. All I can say is that this is a 50-50 fight. You guys have anything? Yeah, so, so, so no prediction right now? I mean, I, I'll text you my prediction. I'll look over it a little <laughs> okay. bit more. But this is too tough to call at this particular one. And like I said, the only thing, if Postal was like the same Postal who fought Ramirez and Taylor, he'll win. Okay. So the way I look at this fight, I think it's, as you said, it's big time for Russell. He hasn't had, uh, this is a step-up fight for him. You know, he's looking to get some names on his resume, trying to become a force in a, a junior light, I mean, a junior welterweight division, 140. Very underrated. Uh, uh, aggressive boxer puncher, heavy-handed. At this point, we've seen him get caught, but we've never really seen him hurt. And as you said, he has a you know he has this 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 uh, windmill style, which is overwhelming to a lot of guys. And coupled with the fact that he, he's heavy-handed, he's not really like taking guys out with one punch like that. But he's, I mean, he really brutalizes guys just giving it to them uh, because of how heavy-handed he is. Uh, but Victor Postar, um, Victor Postar, in this case, he's very tall, tall for the weight. And he, he uses that that height very, very well with his jab. And, and this works well against shorter guys. We've seen this against uh, Matisse and uh, I believe it was Selden Ayudin, where, you know, those were, were, were pretty short, 140-pounders. And, and Postar pretty much treated them like food. Um, but I do think when Postar is in there with somebody who, who fights, can, can fight as long as he can and, and, and use distance just like he can, he does struggle. He does struggle like we've seen that um, when he fought uh, Terrence Crawford, you know. But with with the, uh, with Gary Russell, I think the way Russell looks at this, and, and, and let me put that, throw that Antoine middle name in there to make sure everyone knows which Russell I'm talking about because I don't want anyone getting confused. It's Gary Antoine Russell. Um like you said, it's hard to say what, what happens in this fight, but I'm not sure that I can see Postar winning this fight unless I, I think if 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 Postar is at any point winning this fight, I like in the mid-rounds, I think I do I do really believe that Russell is gonna step step it up and stop him. And, and, and I believe that Gary Antoine Russell will be the first to stop Victor Postar. So put that on record. I think this this will be an interesting fight because Postar does have this caginess to him and he and he, as you said you know uh russell is between 5 8 and 5 10 i think he's probably about 5 8 i think he's on the shorter side of that stick and plus he doesn't have a long reach i don't think he I mean, he doesn't look like he has a very very long arm so i think that can play into the uh post off for a little bit but i do think once he figures if he's down at any point in this fight or even if this fight is close i do think that Russell, Russell is going to step it up and stop Postal mid to late round stoppage. And that's my prediction. Danny, can we get you on record, sir? I'll text y'all. Y'all know who I do. I got I to gotta get some old facts together for this one. <laughs> <laughs> it's a close one, man. It's, it's, it's some variables. It's a close one. 
I don't, I don't know what they like. This is out of all the guys that they can put Gary Antoine Russell in with. I'm trying to figure out why they choose Victor Postal. Like what? Why would they do that? Right. I mean, who's in a rush to fight Russell right now? Like nobody really is saying I want to fight Gary Antoine Russell. Nobody's really saying that. And to his credit, I can understand that he doesn't have those names and. I know he does want those names, but nobody's saying I want to fight Gary Antoine Russell. Not saying that he's somebody that's just the scary guy to be avoided, but you don't hear his name on anybody's mouth because he's more of a uh, he's he's not one of those heroic like prospects like a, a Boots or Ortiz where he's being showcased all the time. Like, yeah, he's the guy, but they know he's dangerous, and, and there's no and, and there's, there's no credit if he beats you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. I, I have no idea who was was like who they went who they asked before they asked Victor Posto. I'm just like he's just one of those guys that is hard to to. He did know. call Tank out though too at one point. Well, see that now you you he's still. I'm looking at his resume right, and I'm just I don't see anybody on here that like for you to jump to Victor Posto. Is what I'm saying. Like maybe you get somebody else, you know, that's a that's tough. You know, you get you a couple of those fights in, and then you go to a Victor Postal. But me looking at Victor, I haven't. The only person I've seen that really definitively beat Victor Postal was Terrence Crawford. Everybody else has been like, I that um, Josh Taylor fight was really close, and you can kind of make the case that Postal. Oh, why not? Yeah, I go for the I thought, that, I thought that that Taylor won, but then the Ramirez fight, if you just like taking out the fact that they wanted Ramirez and Taylor to tangle with each other and he's the more um you know lucrative commodity, if you just like look at the rounds that when they fought, I think Postal won that fight. But again, it just all depends on how much he still has left being off for over 18 months in his age, and then like that youthfulness of Antoine Russell. See, with him, the only reason I'm saying, like, if Victor Postal is who he, if if he is who he was, he he throws these uppercuts and he just he dismantles like those type of guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, and Watchcom just hasn't had the experience against top level dudes to be prepared for somebody who has those type of abilities. So that's what I'm saying it's just it just matchup wise, like why would you put him in with him? You know, hopefully they they they've seen something in post star that he can take advantage of. I don't see it, to be honest with you. It's time you gotta go for the gusto. So for me, I'm going with uh I'm going with post star as far as my prediction, but I'm I'll be rooting for the kid. All right, for the WBN network, we'll be knowing network. Yeah, we'll see. Anything else you guys got before we wrap things up? No, sir. Yeah, I'm about to crack this brew, you know, and uh, I'll be the last one at the crib, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but uh, nah, man, I hopefully everybody enjoyed the ep. You know, I, I really love the conversation, the dialogue that me and these brothers have each and every Sunday, and it comes out on Monday, you know, which is my fun day, which is ne- another manic Monday, you know. That was the you hit them bars right there. Nah, y'all didn't hear them. Yeah, all right, anyway. Prince. All right, Prince. <laughs> I caught him. I caught him. I surprised we got him for free. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Next time you got to pay, though. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, on that note, hopefully everybody enjoyed it. We, and we'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace. Peace.